It is Wednesday, the 4th of October, the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. Let's pray a prayer of his together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Almighty, eternal, just, and merciful God, grant us in our misery the grace to do for you alone what we know you want us to do, and always to desire what pleases you. Thus, inwardly cleansed, interiorly enlightened, and inflamed by the fire of the Holy Spirit, may we be able to follow in the footprints of your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And by your grace alone, may we make our way to you, Most High, who live and rule in perfect trinity and simple unity, and our glorified God, all-powerful, forever and ever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Francis of Assisi, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are glad that you're along here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. we got some Franciscan connections that flow through this whole scene around here, uh, going back to the very beginning in Mother Angelica. Of course, she's in an order named for St. Clair, who was good friends with St. Francis. Up this hour... I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We'll talk to Dr. John Bergsma. More stories from the Old Testament that show us uh, the relationship between God and his people. Dr. Bergsma's got a book called Love Basics for Catholics. Father Rob Jack will talk about St. Francis and the leper, one of the most famous stories in the life of St. Francis, right, right really at the beginning of his conversion. Gary Zimak will unpack Psalm 1 with us, and then Dr. Matthew Bunsen will look ahead, well, it's not really even ahead, right? He'll look at the uh, new letter from Pope Francis that's a follow-up to Laudato Si, released on this feast of St. Francis. So stay with us if you can. Right now, it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. As Matt was just saying, the Holy See on this feast of St. Francis is releasing the Pope's new apostolic exhortation, Laudate Deum, to all people of goodwill, on the climate crisis. In the text, the Holy Father expresses the need to update and continue to implore action eight years now after the publication of his encyclical Laudato Si. He says, quote, the situation has to do not only with physics or biology, but also with the economy and the way we conceive it. The mentality of maximum gain at minimal cost, disguised in terms of reasonableness, progress and illusory promises, makes impossible any sincere concern for our common home and any real preoccupation about assisting the poor and the needy discarded by our society. In recent years, he says, we can note that astounded and excited by the promises of any number of false prophets, the poor themselves at times fall prey to the illusion of a world that is not being built for them, end quote. He closes the document saying, Praise God is the title of this letter, for when human beings claim to take God's place, they become their own worst enemies, end quote. Meanwhile, the Pope has presided over Mass today to open the General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops on Synodality. In his homily, the Pope encouraged the faithful to walk with the Holy Spirit in trust and with joy. 
reflecting on the life of St. Francis and the call to go and repair God's church, the Holy Father said, quote, The Synod serves to remind us of this. Our mother, the church, is always in need of purification. And he invited to take up, he invited the faithful to take up the only weapons of the gospel, humility and unity, prayer and charity. Meanwhile, in Washington, an election for the new Speaker of the House is set to be held next Wednesday. Members leaving the House GOP conference meeting said a candidate forum for Speaker will be held next Tuesday with the election held the following day. The House of Representatives will be in recess until next week. Kevin McCarthy says he will not be running again following the chamber's decision to vote him out of his position in an historic vote forced by Florida Congressman Matt Gates. North Carolina Congressman Patrick McHenry is now acting speaker until a new speaker election is held. Former House Speaker Newt Gingrich is calling on the House to expel Matt Gates. Mark Mayfield has more. In an op-ed for the Washington Post on Tuesday, Gingrich called Gates anti-Republican and claimed he was engaging in childish behavior and has become actively destructive to the conservative movement. Gingrich said Gates should be expelled from the House Republican Conference for his motion to remove Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. McCarthy was voted out of office Tuesday after Gates put forward a motion to vacate the chair. I'm Mark Mayfield. Democrat Dianne Feinstein's replacement has been sworn into the U.S. Senate. The now former president of the pro-abortion fundraising organization Emily's List, LaFonza Butler, was appointed by California Governor Gavin Newsom on Sunday to take the place of the late senator and was sworn in yesterday by Vice President Kamala Harris in a ceremony at the U.S. Capitol. She is now the first openly LGBT senator to represent California. Teams from both sides are back at the negotiating table trying to avoid a three-day strike from 75,000 Kaiser Permanente workers nationwide. If no agreement is reached, the healthcare workers will hold a three-day strike the rest of this week. The union says this would be the largest healthcare worker strike in U.S. history. And the first day of the MLB postseason is in the books. The Texas Rangers began the day with a 4-0 shutout over the Tampa Bay Rays in front of the smallest playoff audience since the 19 World Series. Minnesota designated hitter Royce Lewis belted a two-run two home runs to help the Twins swap an 18-game snap, an 18-game playoff losing skid with a 3-1 win over the Toronto Blue Jays. The Arizona Diamondbacks rallied from an early three-run deficit to down the Brewers 6-3 in Milwaukee. The Philadelphia Phillies began their National League title defense by cruising to a 4-1 win over the Miami Marlins. Wildcard round action continues today with the Diamondbacks, Phillies, Rangers, and Twins all having a chance to clinch their spot in the division series this weekend. So the Twins was the story that was fascinating with me uh, because I think the Twins broke like a 19-year playoff losing streak. 18. You 18. weren't listening to my story very 18. carefully. So, so, oh, I was. So, uh, but like, can you imagine? I mean, we, we had some of that going in Cincinnati with the Bengals, mm-hmm. right? Where you show up over and over again. Right, right. But... Uh, but you can't get any but farther you can't than get showing any further. up. Yeah, I mean that's so frustrating. Yeah, for a fan base. I know. So I'm just I'm very happy for the Twins. Yeah, congratulations, Minnesota. Twins. Uh, Twins got a bunch of former Reds too. So not a bunch. They got at least a couple. 
yep. former Reds. Yep. So that's uh, that's what you do this time of year, Anna Mitchell, if your team doesn't make it. You look around to see who your team's traded over the past few years. And yeah, and you pick who's, they're on. who's my favorite how they're doing. former team member and who Just am I – who do I want to see succeed now? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Well, it's a fun time of year, even if your team is not in the playoffs like our Reds are not. It's fine. We're fine. It's fine. It's fine. Today is Wednesday, October the 4th. Happy to have you along with us on this feast of St. Francis of Assisi. Pray for us. It's a past. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. John Berksma. We have been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So, Doc, we have spent a number of weeks looking through the Old Testament to get a better grasp on on how the Word of God reveals the love of God for his people. Today, we are going to start looking at the New Testament and, of course, the Gospels first. So, We've talked about the Babylonian exile and the return and and this great expectation of a Messiah who would be sent to the people of God. Now, Doc, by the time we get to like the incarnation and the nativity, how would you describe the expectation at that time? So it's kind of at a fever pitch because Daniel, in his prophecies, predicted that it would be roughly 500 years until the coming of Prince Messiah. There was different calculations of how long it had been, but everybody figured that roughly 500 years had elapsed since Daniel. So everybody was thinking, you know, it's got to be sometime around now. And that's around the time that Jesus was born. And yeah, people were definitely looking for the Messiah at this time. Now, your chapter here focuses on the Gospel of John, and I want to get back to John in a second, but John does not talk about the earliest years of Jesus in the way that Matthew and Luke do. So could you take us through the nativity <laughs> narrative and, and sort of what, what kind of marital imagery can we glean from that? Yes. Well, there's something very subtle, and that is you know, the wedding of uh, human nature with divine nature. Mm. Um, so Jesus is a marriage in a person, so to speak, right. um, yeah. the wedding of divine and human. And that's actually why, if, if we pay attention, Anna, uh, coming up here in December, um, a couple of days before Christmas, we're going to read uh, from the Song of Songs. I think it's on December 21st. We're going to read Song of Songs chapter 2, which talks about the bridegroom bounding down out of the hills to invite the bride to come away with him. And it seems kind of odd to be reading that just before Christmas, but its spiritual sense is divine nature coming down out of heaven and inviting human nature, as it were, to run away with him and be united to him forever. And that's what happens in Jesus. But Speaking of the Gospel of Matthew, we get some beautiful nuptial images, Anna, very early on with the coming of the Magi. And we don't always see it, but these three gifts that the Magi come, uh, that come bearing, uh, gold and frankincense and myrrh, especially the frankincense and myrrh, are only mentioned together in the Bible in romantic contexts, where frankincense and myrrh are like... Um, 
you know, romantic perfumes, you know, expensive stuff like you'd buy in the duty-free shop in the airport, <laughs> things like that. And uh, in, in the Song of Songs, for instance, Solomon and his bride, you know, are smothered with frankincense and myrrh and other uh, sweet-smelling colognes, if you will, uh, as, uh, as they're courting one another. So that uh, bespeaks that. And, and of course, the, the wise men coming from the East to visit Jesus, that calls to mind the last time that wise men came from the East to seek out a son of David, and that was under the reign of Solomon, who was also the great uh, romantic figure and the uh, main character of the Song of Songs. So Jesus is being shown to be a new Solomon and a a new bridegroom already from uh, his infancy at about two years old uh, in Bethlehem when the wise men come. Wow, and how beautiful, too, to think about it in in the sense that the Magi, I mean, presumably they they didn't know what they were uh, sort of illustrating here that you're just bringing out to us, you know, like here we are giving this to the divine bridegroom. Um, and yet they represent to us like, all the nations, right, coming to the Lord, this invitation that we've talked about so many times in in the Old Testament that the people of God somehow seem to overlook. Um, but but here they are, these these Gentiles bringing these uh, these spices to the divine bridegroom. Absolutely. Um, and that theme of you know, the, uh, God's Messiah becoming the, the covenant and indeed even the bridegroom for all people, you know, runs the Old Testament. Solomon, you know, was kind of bridegroom of the whole world. Uh, he went about it the wrong way, trying to individually marry every single woman. But, uh, you know, he, he was attempting something that our Lord does in the right way, which is offer himself as the bridegroom for the whole earth only monogamously, because together we make up one bride, we make up the church. Um, But uh, definitely, you know, open to all the nations, Uh, the Messiah is not only for Israel, um, but he's he's a spouse for all of our souls, no matter what part of the world we come from. Now, let's move into John to just close out this conversation today, because I want to get into all of these stories um, in their own segment, Doc. But but can you just kind of give us an overview of how the love of God is revealed to us in the Gospel of John? Absolutely. Well, one of the first the first miracle of our Lord, you know, recorded in the Gospel of John is the wedding at Cana. And, of course, in ancient Judaism, the bridegroom was the one who was supposed to bring all the wine. Well, at this wedding at Cana, the bridegroom doesn't do a good job, as we know, doesn't have enough wine. And Jesus steps in and does the bridegroom's duty by providing the wine. And he provides it in enormous abundance, you know, 180 gallons of fine French import. You know, it's, it's tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars of wine. And that is a symbol, and we'll get into this more in future weeks, but that's a symbol of just the overflowing love of God that he has for his people. It's going to be so good unpacking it all. Thank you so much, Dr. John Bergsma. You can find Love Basics for Catholics linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Coming up on 16 past here on the Sunrise Morning Show, we're back with headlines right after this. Are you longing to hear God's voice? 
Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy by knowing Jesus personally. Lord Teach Me to Pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box and order the Lord Teach Me to Pray series. Again, that's lordteachmetopray.com. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have traveled to nearly every corner of the world. Founded by St. Daniel Comboni, we are an international Catholic organization dedicated to ministering the world's poorest and most abandoned people. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. Mystic Monk Coffee has brought back their pumpkin spice blend, and unlike the competition, buying their coffee has the added bonus of supporting the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming and the Sunrise Morning Show. Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click the Mystic Monk link to get that or any of their other coffee blends or teas. When you check out, we earn a commission. And there's no better vessel for your Mystic Monk pumpkin spice latte than a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug. Find those in our online store. Do pumpkin spice the Catholic way. Just head on over to sonrisemorningshow.com. The Catholic Man Show, hosted by Adam Minahan and David Niles, designed especially for men that promotes the lost art of living virtuously. You can hear The Catholic Man Show as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTNradio.net slash podcasts today. 17 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. On this feast of St. Francis of Assisi, the Holy See is releasing the Pope's newest apostolic exhortation on the climate crisis, Laudate Deum. Meanwhile, the Pope has presided over Mass today to open the General Assembly of the Synod on Synodality. And in Washington, an election for a new Speaker of the House is set for next week after the House voted out Congressman Kevin McCarthy. Well, Anna Mitchell, today the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi, Mm -hmm. and he has many patronages, um, often because of his being pictured with birds and squirrels and deers, and there's a wolf in there somewhere. Uh, He is officially a patron saint of zoos, so he's got that going for him. I was not aware of that. I guess I shouldn't be surprised. And we're going to talk more about him in a little bit with Father Rob Jack, but as you know, on these big feast days, I like to go through and figure out which dioceses the saint is uh, a patron of. Mm-hmm. So you ready? We got we got some good ones on here. So St. Francis of Assisi, patron of the Diocese of Alexandria, Louisiana. So happy feast day to you all. Nice. Um, he is uh, a patron of Denver, Colorado. Mm-hmm. We got Salina, Kansas, that diocese. Mm-hmm. Uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. And of course, can you guess, can you guess the big one? Um, would it be the city after which he is named? That would be it. San Francisco. So it just it, it just stands to reason that St. Francis of Assisi would be patron I would of love, the Archdiocese of San Francisco. He's also the patron of Metuchen, New Jersey. You missed that one. Oh, did I miss Metuchen? I missed yeah. Metuchen. I'm, I'm curious as to why. You know, it's kind of, I mean, he's such a popular saint. I guess of course. that would be possible. But 
he's not quite like St. Joseph, you know, like patron of the Universal Church or the Immaculate Conception. No, or but he did like rebuild that. the church. So and bear I'm, in mind that, you know, there's like in the case of Santa Fe, that's a, you know, named after a mission, which mm-hmm. the Franciscans were all about. Well, OK, but what about Denver, Colorado? I mean, there's some missions in, in Colorado, right? Why so, Salina, Kansas? I mean, I don't know. This is what I'm like, just really curious. Maybe the original bishop was Franciscans that were there, right? In some capacity. Well, that's why I'm wondering. So, anybody who happens to be in one of these dioceses, if if you you happen to know, hit us with a note. I would love to know the history. I mean, I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I think St. Francis is a great choice for a patron. I'm just asking. It could be that one of the early bishops was named after a. You know, named after Francis. Who knows? I don't tend to speculate on these things. Well, you just did. So. I said, I don't know, though. So I got myself an out. (laughs) That's the key. Fair. Fair. (laughs) Gotta hedge your bets on this stuff. (laughs) St. Francis of Assisi, pray for us. Jesus said, Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonrisemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonrisemorningshow.com. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. The Universal Prayer by Pope Clement XI. Lord, I believe in you, but let me believe more strongly. I hope in you, but let me hope more confidently. I love you, but let me love you more ardently. I adore you as my first beginning. I long for you as my last end. I praise you as my constant benefactor. I call upon you as my loving protector. Guide me by your wisdom, hold me by your justice, comfort me with your mercy, protect me with your power. I offer you, Lord, my thoughts, that they may be fixed on you, my words, that they may be about you, my actions, that they may be regulated by you, my sufferings, that they may be endured for you. Enlighten my mind, inflame my will, purify my heart, sanctify my soul. Grant that I may prepare for death, be concerned about judgment, Flee from hell and obtain paradise through Christ our Lord. Amen. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim. Thank you for joining us on this Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. Pray for us. And we want to dig into some of the stories of St. Francis today through the course of the morning. And there are so many, but one of the more famous ones, uh, which really kind of illustrates the kind of conversion that St. Francis went through, is the story of his meeting with the leper. And here to talk about that this morning is Father Rob Jag, host of Driving Home the Faith on Sacred Heart Radio. Father, good morning. Morning, Matt. So if you could set the stage for this whole story of St. Francis's meeting with the leper and why it would be so out of character for St. Francis in his previous life to have handled this encounter this way. 
Well, what I do when I talk about this is I used to, when I was in the I began as a Franciscan seminarian all the way back in 1979. And so I was in a high school seminary for a year. And one of the things I, I read quite a bit was the life of St. Francis by St. Bonaventure, which is a phenomenal, very excellent biography of his degree, because, of course, he knew Francis personally. But one of the stories I always remind the seminarians of, and really anybody, if you're going to follow Jesus, you better expect to be ready to kiss a leper, because this is what this is how the Christian story works. We think of Saint Francis, of course, as the uh, one who loved all of creation and all of these things, and he was always very gentle and very kind. This is one tough character, and he really took on the fullness of his own human weakness and his sinfulness. And the Lord tested him as He tests all of us. And so, of course, Francis was writing back one day on his horse in his military gear. And as he was riding back, he came across a leper. Now, lepers, of course, are rejected by society. They believed leprosy was very contagious, and so you wouldn't even touch one, much less be close to one. It used to be, as we found out in the Old Testament, whenever a leper would come by, they would have to shout out, unclean, unclean, you know, stay away. And they lived apart. Well, Francis was writing, and he saw this leper, and he was, of course, very much uh, put off by him in the, between the smell and the appearance and all this. And Francis, at that moment, was overcome with the great love of Christ. And he dismounted his horse, and he went over, and he embraced the leper. And after he embraced him, he gave him his cloak. And then Francis turned to walk back, and he looked, and the leper disappeared. And he thought, what did I just encounter here? And what happened after that was, of course, that night in a dream, Jesus came to him dressed in his cloak as a leper and said, Francis, it was me today that you embraced, not a leper. And it really set Francis on his, on his focus of one of his primary ministries was caring for the lepers and caring for the marginalized. Now, what I did was I told the seminarians, I said, everyone who is going to serve the Lord is going to be put before us with a with a, a leper, okay? But it's not just a leper. It's whatever, oftentimes, the thing that strikes most at our ego or the thing that most fills us with fear. And mine happened to me, because everyone has to do this in many ways. You find it yourself in terms of how you live your life. But I was uh, in my third year of seminary training. This was back in 1989. Now, I was a hospital chaplain, Children's Hospital in Columbus. Now, I wasn't too keen on hospital work. My mother had died in a hospital for medical malpractice, and I said, Lord, let me do anything. Just don't put me near a hospital. Stupid thing to say. <laughs> so I say that, and then I'm working one night on a 24-hour uh, uh, call, and I'm in their ER. And about 1 in the morning, a double-code blue trauma comes, and two young boys had been hit not once but twice on Broad Street in Columbus, and they were coming into the ER. And as soon as that announce went out, my feet, I didn't do anything. My feet turned the other way. In other words, let's just get the heck out of Dodge. This is not your, this is not your deal. Well, I was the chaplain there, and it was my deal. And so I faced that. And in the process, I had two young boys. They were cousins. The whole family just, you know, descended upon the whole hospital. And in the midst of this, one of the mothers who uh, was basically seven months pregnant, 
and was was grieving and all this commotion was going on. You hear the mother. We get him in a very, very small room, which is probably about the size of where you're broadcasting from right now. And I got 40 people, one throwing up in the corner. You got the pregnant mother. You got all these things. And I'm the only chaplain there. That's it. And the nurses got the heck out of there because they said, I don't want to deal with it. But there I am, and I'm trying to get things calmed down. And all of a sudden, (laughs) the mother goes, my son is dead. And she says, ouch, she was going into labor when all this other stuff was going on in this terrible event. And what happens? Well, okay, I go out right outside to the nurse's station, and I come out to the nurse's station and say, excuse me, uh, we have a lady in there who's pregnant. She's going into labor. And, uh, and in that process, my supervisor comes by, and she's a, she's a Lutheran minister. And she says, you need some help here? And at that time, a scream comes from that room. And this was the moment I kissed the leper. I said, what happened was, I said, no, we're fine. And I turned around, and I walked back into that room, and for the next two and a half hours, dealt with that family and their moment of crisis. Because at that moment, I could have just handed the chapel the super. I said, here's my coat, here's my card, I'm done. But I didn't, and I don't know how I didn't, but I walked in, and I dealt with this thing, the worst thing I could ever deal with. And I came out with it, out of that was a new appreciation for the sick, a new appreciation for Christ in the poor and in the suffering. And that was my leper. Now, that doesn't mean I don't face more. I face a lot of them still, as we all do. But that test that comes is an important test. Well, and I think all of us, as you're telling this story, can think back, what's the time where I've been St. Francis and the Lord has put a leper in my life and it's been an opportunity to show love to the Lord? And so hopefully that's an opportunity, again, for us to think about, you know, what leper might I meet today? Father Rob Jack, thank you so much as always. Have a wonderful day. Hopefully I wasn't your leper today. (laughs) Far from it. Far from it. Uh, You can find Driving Home the Faith linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Again, St. Francis of Assisi on this year feast day. Pray for us and uh, pray that we'll be open to encountering those lepers in our life today. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. The Holy See on this feast of St. Francis of Assisi has released the Pope's apostolic exhortation, Laudate Deum, to all people of goodwill on the climate crisis. In the text, the Holy Father expresses the need to update and continue to implore action now eight years after the publication of his encyclical Laudato Si. In the apostolic exhortation, the Holy Father laments the failure of nations to make good on promises they've made during the various climate conferences that have taken place over the past decades. He says, quote, despite the many negotiations and agreements, global emissions continue to increase. Certainly, it could be said that without those agreements, they would have increased even more. Still, in other themes related to the environment, when there was a will, very significant results were obtained, as was the case with the protection of the ozone layer. Yet, he says, the necessary transition towards clean energy sources such as wind and solar energy and the abandonment of fossil fuels is not progressing at the necessary speed. Consequently, whatever is being done risks being seen only as a ploy to distract attention. We must move beyond the mentality of appearing to be concerned, but not having the courage needed to produce substantial changes. End quote. 
Meanwhile, the Pope has presided over Mass today to open the General Assembly of the Synod on Synodality. In his homily at Mass, the Pope encouraged the faithful to walk with the Holy Spirit in trust and with joy. Reflecting on the life of today's saint, St. Francis, and the call to go and repair my church, the Pope said, quote, The Synod serves to remind us as this, Our Mother the Church is always in need of purification. He invited the faithful to take up the only the only the weapons of the gospel, humility and unity, prayer and charity, end quote. Meanwhile, in Washington, Kevin McCarthy says he will not run again for Speaker of the House. He was ousted yesterday in a historic vote forced by Florida Congressman Matt Gates. It marks the first time in U.S. history that a speaker has been removed. McCarthy said he would consider endorsing the next person elected, adding that he does not have any regrets about passing a spending bill over the weekend to avoid a government shutdown. North Carolina Congressman Patrick McHenry is now acting speaker until the House holds a speaker election, which is expected next week. Meanwhile, former House Speaker Newt Gingrich is calling on the House of Representatives to expel Congressman Matt Gates. More from Mark Mayfield. In an op-ed for the Washington It appears that's not going to work, but we will move on. Democrat Dianne Feinstein's replacement has been sworn into the U.S. Senate. The now former president of the pro-abortion fundraising organization, Emily's List, LaFonza Butler, was appointed by California Governor Gavin Newsom on Sunday to take the place of the late senator and was sworn in by Vice President Kamala Harris yesterday in a ceremony at the U.S. Capitol. She is now the first openly LGBT senator to represent California. Hunter Biden's son has pleaded not guilty to federal gun charges in Delaware. Hunter Biden faces three felony firearms charges, including unlawfully possessing a gun as an illegal drug user. The charges come after a prior plea deal that allowed Hunter Biden to enter a diversion program fell apart following scrutiny from a federal judge. Yesterday's court appearance lasted about 40 minutes. Hunter Biden's attorneys have called the charges illegitimate. The first day of the MLB postseason is now in the books. The Texas Rangers began the day with a 4-0 shutout win over the Tampa Bay Rays in front of the smallest playoff audience since the 1919 World Series. Minnesota-designated hitter Royce Lewis hit two home runs to help the Twins snap an 18-game playoff losing skid with a 3-1 win over the Toronto Blue Jays. The Arizona Diamondbacks rallied to beat the Brewers 6-3 in Milwaukee, and the Philadelphia Phillies began their National League title defense by cruising to a 4-1 win over the Miami Marlins at Citizens Bank Park. Wild card round action continues today. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes past. The Sunrise Morning Show. 
You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. St. Augustine says that if we want to die well, we must live well. As our life is, so shall our death be. To sum up the matter in a few words, we say that the rule for a happy death is to lead a good life. Placing our trust in the merits of the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, without whom every day would be a terrible and terrifying event. Do not trust your spiritual enemies, even if they leave you in peace for a while. They can initiate a terrible war at any time. Remember, there is no state in life without its problems and frustrations. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Chris Armstrong. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Zimak from followingthetruth.com. And we've been looking at the Psalms lately specifically. Uh, Part of the purpose of this segment is to have a better sense of trust in God amid all the insanity that we face or hear about in our daily lives. Gary, good morning. Hey, Matt. Good morning. So we're going back to the beginning of the book of Psalms today. Uh, Where you got us at? Matt, we are literally going back to the beginning of the book of Psalms, Psalm 1. And uh, let me just read a couple of verses here from the very beginning of Psalm 1, and then let me explain why I think that this is such an important message. Psalm 1, beginning in verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You know, Matt, um, in today's world, this idea of following the law of God or meditating upon the law of God or obeying any any law is is really thought of in a negative way. But but here's what I love about this, and I, I I have found this to be so true. The idea of meditating upon God's law, it's so important. And taking delight in, in the law of the Lord, in the teaching of His Church, why is that going to bring someone delight? And here's what I think, and, this, and I found this to be true. God knows what we need to be happy, and He knows that if we follow His, His law, the teaching of the Church, if we meditate upon it, 
that's going to draw us not only into a relationship with him, but he's going to advise us and let us know what's really going to make us happy. And again, so many people are not going to they're going to look at this and say, I got a problem with that. I can't see how the law is going to make me happy. But really, all we're doing is turning to the Lord saying, Lord, what do I do? How can I be happy in life? And the Lord's saying, here's what you need to do. And, and I found this to be so true, and that's why I love looking in Scripture. I, and I'm, I'm reading the Catechism of the Catholic Church for the umpteenth time. I've, I've gone through it numerous times. And I just find such joy and comfort in letting the Lord speak to me. You know, as I'm reading through this, and I, I tend to think in the in the New International Version, 1984, I think I've told you this before. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. whenever you send me a verse, I'm like, I have that memorized in a different <laughs> translation. Um, and uh, in mine, so I think you said, sit in the seat of scoffers. Was that what your, yes. your translation yes. said? So in, uh, in the version I have it memorized, in, it's, it's sit in the seat of mockers. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, that, that stuck with me as a kid. Uh, sit in the seat of mockers. Like, what does that mean? Um, and when you think about like what makes you happy and what makes you miserable, you would think, you know, and, and we heard this in middle school, right? That person who's being mean to you and making fun of you is doing so because they don't like themselves. And if they put you down, they'll feel better. Well, that's really mm. good advice for a middle school playground, but it also <laughs> kind of sums up like, social media and the news cycle and like modern comedy in a nutshell right yeah. we're like if yeah. i just come up with a meme or a gif or a uh hot take you know or a sick burn on somebody that will give me this momentary boost of whatever but if you sit in the seat of mockers gary you don't actually feel better about yourself you actually kind of descend further into the misery you know uh the people who you know, do these sorts of things, and whenever I feel tempted to do these sorts of things, I may get, like, a momentary, like, rush out of, like, really putting somebody in their place, but at the end of the day, I'm like, you know, I'm kind of a terrible person for doing that. So, sitting in the seat of mockers is not a way to find beatitude, man. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and and this is, that's a really good point, and, you know, when, when you first hear this, you, you might have a problem with it, or you, it might sound like, well, this, is, this isn't going to work, but but it really, it really does work, and it, it doesn't mean you're, you're never going to experience suffering or struggles in life, because, because you are. But there's just such a comfort to me, and um, there's just such comfort to me to, to let the Lord speak to me, to reveal Himself to me, and through His, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, it's referred to as the law. But here, we're, you know, we're, we can bring it up to date, and we're, we're talking about the teaching of the Church, and the Lord is really revealing through His Church— to me, what will bring me the happiness that I'm, I'm looking for. And I think that's invaluable advice, and I'm, I'm really trying to live that every day, and I definitely see the benefit in, in doing this. Well, it goes on to say in Psalm 1, and this is one of the great images uh, from this psalm, where it says that if you live this life where you're in order, you're lined up with God, you and he are on the same page, you are like a tree planted uh, near the water, right? planted by a stream, yeah. and uh, so that you're uh, flourishing, you're yielding your fruit in season. Uh, every time I hear that verse, I think to, if you ever see, like, uh, a satellite, you know, from space, you know, camera shot of 
North Africa and Egypt, and you see just like desert everywhere. But there's this big green strip that goes down where the Nile is, <laughs> and you're right, like, right. that's a tree planted next to a stream of water. Uh, and it's such a great metaphor for what we will come to understand what Jesus institutes in the sacraments, right? If you want to grow and flourish and be the green tree that bears fruit, stay close to the stream, man, the stream of grace that comes through those sacraments, through the Eucharist, through confession. Exactly. And, you know, I was just talking about this the other day. I belong to a men's group at my parish, and I was talking about the beauty of the sacrament of confession. And I've noticed that, that uh, and, and there were guys there who were struggling with it, but yet there was an interest there. They were thinking, They were saying that, this one guy in particular was saying, I really feel that I should go back to confession. It's been a long time, but I don't really get it. And I said, you know what? This is The sacrament of confession has made such a difference in my life because I've noticed that when I don't go as frequently, there's something missing there. there there's, a, there's a piece that I don't have. And when I go frequently, and that's why I'm, I try to go as frequently as possible and keep my regular schedule, there's that peace that comes from that encounter with Jesus in the sacrament of confession. And when you add on to that the, the reception, the daily reception of the Eucharist, which is something that I've been blessed to be able to do for many years now, there is, uh, there is a flow of grace that leads to a peace and a, and a happiness that, uh, that I, for years, never was able to experience. So you're absolutely right. You stay close to that river and let that grace flow into you. We're going we're gonna to feel that happiness. We're going to experience that happiness that the Lord wants us to experience. Sometimes we think, well, God doesn't want us to be happy. Well, that's not true at all. Yes, there's suffering in life, but there's, there's a peace and a deep joy that we can feel even in the midst of, of suffering. And God wants that for us. Well, anybody who's memorized that first part of the Baltimore Catechism should know that God wants you to be happy, right? Because why did he make us, <laughs> right, to yeah. know, love, and serve him? So we could be happy with him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a great word about confession, because as it says here in Psalm 1, if you are a person who does or has been walking in the counsel of the wicked, or maybe standing in the way of sinners, or sitting in the seat of mockers, you don't have to be that way forever, right? You don't have to be stuck exactly. there. Right? There's a way out, right? And that's what these—I mean, the sacramental life is about, is to, to, to break you out of that and give you—well, I mean, in the case of confession, not just the forgiveness for having stood in the way of sinners, but the strength to not stand with them next time. Exactly. Exactly. And in fact, when we were talking about this in the men's group, I was, I, I was honest, and I told someone—I told the man in the group, I, I was telling a sin that I had struggled with, something that I did, and he said— is that really confession-worthy? In other words, is that a big deal? And, and you know, I, I think we can all tend to think that way sometimes until we realize, again, going back to that teaching of the Church, right, that law, meditating on the law, that we are not called to just be really good people. We're called to imitate Jesus, to be Jesus. And the only way we're going to do that is with a lot of grace, and that's that's the thing. As long as I am not looking like Jesus and what I think and what I say and what I do, I need to do something about it, and that's where that grace you get in the sacrament is invaluable. I need all the grace I can get, Matt. Yep, me too. If you want to be like Jesus, you got to stay close to Jesus and get grace from Jesus, or it's kind of... Uh... Kind of not going to work. Following the truth.com linked at sunrise morning show.com. Gary, thanks as always. Have a great day. Thank you, brother. Great to be with you. God bless. Dr. Matthew Bunsen joins us next to talk about the follow up to Laudato Si, which releases today. It is 14 till. 
Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, lighthouse work, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, sponsored by Fathom Events, is in theaters Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Mother Teresa and Me, in theaters Thursday, October 5th. More information at fathomevents.com. That's fathomevents.com. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. Hi friends, Janet Williams here. Join me every Wednesday on Women of Grace Live as I welcome new age researcher and blogger for Women of Grace, Sue Brinkman. Sue and I will be talking about all the wacky things that could distract you from your faith. Psychics, yoga, Reiki, crystals, acupuncture, Ouija boards, tarot cards, and astral traveling are just a few of the stranger things we discuss. That's why we call it Wacky Wednesday. So join us at 11 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, John Martinoni and Dr. Edward Sree. Wow, that's a good one. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 11 till. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Vice President and Editorial Director of EWTN News. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. Nice to be back. It is nice to have you back. So the Pope's new apostolic exhortation has been released, Laudate Deum, to all people of goodwill on the climate crisis. Now, this is an update to his encyclical Laudato Si. Um, just quickly, can you explain the difference in terms of like magisterial importance between an encyclical and an apostolic exhortation, just to get our bearings here? Yeah, very briefly, an encyclical is uh, one of the more formal of the papal documents that can be issued. Uh, it's usually focused on some element of teaching or it's assumed it's greater weight, in fact, uh, in the, the modern era in the life of the Church, by which we always say that several hundred years. Uh, the an, an absolute exhortation is pretty much what it sounds like. It's a, a document that doesn't have as much weight as an encyclical. Uh, they tend to be slightly shorter, uh, but they are also what it sounds like. It is an exhortation. It is a request. The most common type of exhortation that we run across is the one that the Pope typically writes at the end of the Synod. Mm. So if we think, for example, of Amoris Laetitia, Pope Francis is somewhat controversial uh, and very long exhortation after the Synod on the Family in 2014 and 15. 
Yeah. Also in the news recently, thanks to uh, the bishops of the Czech Republic. Honestly, um, okay, Doc, (laughs) there is just too much happening in Rome right now to be able to keep up. I mean, leaving aside all of the controversy surrounding the Synod, I mean, even if the Synod was not controversial, there's a Synod commencing on the same day that this apostolic exhortation is being released. So I guess my question is, why now? I mean, what was the Pope's motivation to put out this document right now? Well, there are a couple things. So the first is, uh, today is October 4th, which is the Feast of St. Francis. So that's a date that is of great importance to Francis. It connects pretty directly to the purpose and, and goal of this new exhortation on the environment, on the global climate crisis, as he puts it. So there's that. So there's Pope Francis's own abiding concern with the environment, uh, which is always connected very closely to St. Francis species love for uh, the creation. Uh, and then there is, I think, Francis's goal to put this forward right at the start, as you note, of Synod on Synodality, uh, which itself lists uh, climate change, or however one wants to describe it, as one of the pressing topics of our time, and therefore a topic for discussion throughout the Synod. So he's laying down a marker, so to speak, uh, for the discussions. Uh, for a synod that uh, he opened today, as you note. And yes, you're absolutely right. With the synod, with this document, with the consistory over the weekend, with the dubia cardinals uh, floating around there, uh, there's a lot happening in Rome. Thank God we have you to help us unpack it all. So what would you say is the the thesis in, in Laudate Deum? Well, I think uh, well, my, the, my first big takeaway from this is the fact that significantly shorter than Laudato's Si. Yeah. And and that's important to note, because a lot of people might look at this and be terrified of, of the length of it. If Laudato Si was uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 40,000 words, uh, this one comes in at about 8,000 words. So you can read it in probably half an hour or so. Mm-hmm. The central thesis of it is that uh, I'm not making light in any way of Laudato Si, but the the Holy Father is basically saying, you really didn't pay attention to what I said eight years ago when I issued Laudato. <laughs> That's Z. what I thought, so I'm, too. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to take another stab at getting your attention on the, glo- the, the global climate crisis. I think in, in many ways, if we had to sum it up in one sentence, that would be it. Yeah, okay. So uh, I guess one thing that I appreciated about Laudato C when it came out, Doc, is was his focus on on human ecology. You know, we we don't want polar bears drowning with the melting ice, certainly. But more importantly, this is affecting people who have little or no power to do anything about what is happening around them. And they're dying from it. They're starving from it. They're being displaced because of it. These were all things that came out very powerfully, I think, in Laudato mm-hmm. Si, does that come out in this exhortation? This exhortation hits on some of those themes, but this one is, uh, my takeaway is that this one is much more technical. Mm. And what I mean by that is that uh, when we just read through the, uh, the first chapter, he uses six chapters in all, and that's the title of it is The Global Climate Crisis. He talks about the undeniability of climate change. So in some ways he's going from there to the, uh, what he called the technocratic paradigm, 
to the weakness of international politics, to climate conferences. So essentially, he's looking at the current state of the global response and finding it wanting. And I don't think he feels the the great need to get into the type of um, heartbreaking detail uh, or uh, the human ecological aspects that he did in Laudato Si. I think he's, in many ways, he's seeing that as a given. But what he is trying to focus on here is, all right, institutionally, what are we doing? Globally, what are we doing? And here are the problems that exist because of it, or in our failure to address climate change effectively and coherently. Uh, I found especially striking his chapter on the weakness of international politics, where mm-hmm. we have this failure of global cooperation, and he keeps coming back to multilateral agreements between states, uh, because he sees that, uh, and that in some ways is a snapshot, too, of how he looks at peace around the world, and even in things like interreligious dialogue, that without multilateralism, we are going to fail because of the structure today of a very technocratic world. Yeah, we must move beyond the mentality of appearing to be concerned, but not having the courage needed to produce substantial changes, he says. I mean, with 30 seconds left, Doc, can you talk about the spiritual dimension that he includes at the end of this document? Well, he says in the beginning, this is for people of all goodwill. So he reminds everyone that we're attached. Uh, But he also calls that there's responsibility to care for God's creation. And this means respecting the laws of nature. Yeah. As he uh, closes it, praise God is the title of this letter for when human beings claim to take God's place, they become their own worst enemies. We've been talking to Dr. Matthew Bunsen. You can find him at EWTNnews.com. Doc, I have a feeling over the next month we'll be talking to you quite a bit. So thank you so much in advance. Good to talk to you today. I I pray for your listeners. God bless. (laughs) All right. We got a full hour coming up for most of our affiliates here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. the 4th of October, the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi, who saw all creation as pointing to God. Uh, Let's pray the Canticle of Daniel, which reflects the same thought in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Bless the Lord, all you works of the Lord. Praise and exalt him above all forever. Angels of the Lord, bless the Lord. You heavens, bless the Lord. Sun and moon, bless the Lord. Stars of heaven, bless the Lord. Every shower and dew, bless the Lord. All you winds, bless the Lord. Fire and heat, bless the Lord. Cold and chill, bless the Lord. Nights and days, bless the Lord. Lightnings and clouds, bless the Lord. Let the earth bless the Lord. Praise and exalt him above all forever. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Francis of Assisi, pray for us. Happy feast day to all the Franks and Francises and Franciscos and Francois out there, wherever you happen to be listening. We are glad that you're along this morning. I'm Matt Swayman. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis is 
operating the live video stream this morning, which you can find in our show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Join the chat, see what we look like. Don't be uh, underwhelmed. Up this hour, <laughs> up this hour, Father Philip Michael Tangor is going to join us. He is our canon law correspondent from Patterson, New Jersey. We'll catch up with him. Carlo Broussard has more thoughts on combating various progressive ideologies from a logical and charitable perspective. Father Sebastian Walsh will look at the heart of the gospel message. And uh, St. Francis, of course, was very concerned with getting to the heart of the gospel. And we'll talk a lot more about the implications of the story of St. Francis, not just as some story uh, kind of trapped in the 13th century somewhere, but something living and active in St. Francis as someone who has something to say to us today. So stay with us if you can. Right now, it's two minutes past the hour. News a service of Central Fabricators and Central, centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. The Holy See today has released the Pope's apostolic exhortation, Laudate Deum, to all people of goodwill on the climate crisis. In the text, the Holy Father expresses the need to update and continues to implore action eight years now after the publication of his encyclical Laudato Si. He says in the text, quote, the situation has to do not only with physics or biology, but also with the economy and the way we conceive it, the mentality of maximum gain at minimal cost, disguised in terms of reasonableness, progress, and illusory promises, makes impossible any sincere concern for our common home and any real preoccupation about assisting the poor and needy discarded by our society. In recent years, we can note that astounded and excited by the promises of any number of false prophets, the poor themselves at times fall prey to the illusion of a world that is not being built for them, end quote. He closes the exhortation saying, quote, Praise God is the title of this letter, for when human beings claim to take God's place, they become their own worst enemies, end quote. The Pope has presided over Mass today to open the General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops on Synodality. In his homily at Mass, the Holy Father encouraged the faithful to walk with the Holy Spirit in trust and with joy. He said, reflecting on the life of St. Francis and God's call to him to repair the church, the Pope said, quote, The Synod serves to remind us of this. Our mother, the church, is always in need of purification. He encouraged the faithful to take up, quote, only the weapons of the gospel, humility and unity, prayer and charity, end quote. Meanwhile, in Washington, an election for the new Speaker of the House is set to be held next Wednesday. Members leaving the House GOP conference meeting said a candidate forum for Speaker will be held next Tuesday with the election held the following day. The House of Representatives will be in recess until next week. Kevin McCarthy has said he will not run again following the chamber's decision to vote him out of his position in an historic vote forced by Florida Congressman Matt Gates. North Carolina Congressman Patrick McHenry is now acting speaker until the new speaker election is held. Meanwhile, former House Speaker Newt Gingrich is calling on House Republicans to expel Gates. Mark Mayfield has more. In an op-ed for the Washington Post on Tuesday, Gingrich called Gates anti-Republican and claimed he was engaging in childish behavior and has become actively destructive to the conservative movement. Gingrich said Gates should be expelled from the House Republican Conference for his motion to remove Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. McCarthy was voted out of office Tuesday after Gates put forward a motion to vacate the chair. I'm Mark Mayfield. 
The first day of the MLB postseason is in the books. The Texas Rangers began the day with a 4 to nothing shutout over the Tampa Bay Rays. Minnesota snapped an 18-game playoff losing skid with a 3-1 to win over the Toronto Blue Jays. The Arizona Diamondbacks rallied from an early three-run deficit to down the Brewers 6-3 to in Milwaukee. The Philadelphia Phillies cruise to a 4-1 win over the Miami Marlins. Wild card action continues today with the Diamondbacks, Phillies, Rangers, and Twins all having a chance to clinch their spot in the division series this weekend. And the FCC is issuing its first ever fine for space debris. The agency announced it reached a settlement with Dish Network on Monday over the company failing to properly dispose of a broadcast communications satellite. Dish agreed to pay a $150,000 fine. The FCC said making sure operators comply with their commitments will be a concern as satellite operations become more prevalent and the space economy accelerates. Do you think this is a shot across the bow at Elon Musk, Matt? I have no idea. No? I don't know much about, like, the trash pickup system in space. I mean, I assume, would you just send it back through and it burns up on the way down? Or you shoot it to the farthest reaches of space? I'm really not sure that they thought about it. dump on Jupiter or something? Do you think they thought about it before they did it? I don't know. Like, all I know, Anna Mitchell. This seems like a good idea. There is plenty of space in space. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I mean, you probably shouldn't. This is a. Is this like addressed in Laudato Deum, like littering in space? I don't know if that's. Uh, no, he a paragraph didn't. On that. He didn't cover it in that. I got. I didn't highlight anything on it anyway. It would be a different moral issue because littering part of it is because it you know unbeautifies a situation, but it also can like make it, you know bad for living things but in space you can't well no one no one can hear you well grow here he writes the ethical decadence of real power is disguised thanks to marketing and false information useful tools in the hands of those with greater resources to employ them to shape public opinion i think i think that was a shot across the bow at elon musk it's a shot across the bow at anybody who owns big tech i mean that's true not what we're talking about now. We'll move on from that conversation. And welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Father Philip Michael Tangora. He's a pastor, canon lawyer, author of Holiness and Living the Sacramental Life. Father, welcome back. Good morning. I think you and Matt should submit a dubia. You think so? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I'm, guess, I'm I guess from space a, littering. <laughs> from a, from a canon law perspective, we're allowed to do that? Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. That's right. Hmm. I wonder if he'd respond. This is an interesting. He probably would, actually. Yeah. This is an interesting question. So we are going to be talking about Dubia, not on uh, space junk, but uh, on issues concerning um, stuff that's going to be discussed at the Synod on Synodality this month. Of course, uh, the five cardinals uh, led, I suppose, by Cardinal Raymond Burke uh, made their Dubia public. Pope Francis responded to the first round of dubia. They were not satisfied with his answers, um, released revised dubia to which he has not responded. And just, you know, note that the Pope is not required 
to respond to, to any dubia presented to him from anyone. So, uh, Father, just first of all, any opening remarks that you would like to make about this exchange in general? I think it's very constructive, all right, because, uh, you know, the, the Synod on Synodality has been uh, taken up with so many different cultural, sociological issues that uh, are also occurring. So for instance, here in the United States, we have a lot of cultural upheaval over parental rights and the LGBTQ and different things like this. And so while that is occurring in the secular world, the fact that this is now also being addressed at the same time by the church I think it just takes on all those political divisivenesses, all that uh, polarization, and it kind of gets conflated, just like the way Vatican II in the United States was met by all that different societal upheaval with civil rights and Vietnam War and all these different kinds of things and votes for women and things like that. So all of that kind of gets conflated Instead of just being able to say, like, you know, if you live in South Korea, you're not dealing with the kind of social uh, milieu that we're dealing with in, say, Western Europe and the United States and North America. And so you're going to have a very different perspective on how this synod on synodality is actually being approached and even coming about and being discussed. So and then, of course, there's that whole German synodal way, which I think has also been conflated with this synod on synodality and has just created this like monster, this behemoth hmm. that, uh, you know, uh, nobody knows what's going on with. But I kind of feel that this is good because the dubia provided the Pope and the Pope took up the opportunity to make some responses. And I think that both sides were very helpful to kind of give a better understanding of the fact that it doesn't seem like Pope Bennett Francis is trying to change doctrine, while at the same time, what he's trying to do, it looks like, is discuss the pastoral practices. Mm -hmm. So I feel that there needs to be a harmonization here yeah. between being doctrinally orthodox and as and pastorally orthoprax. Well, let's hope that that's, that that's a result that comes out of the synod. So that's many my people, prayer. Yeah, so many people worried that that church teaching is going to change coming out of the synod. I don't know that that's so much um, a, a no, valid. No, but there might concern. be a re. There might be a re. Uh, approaching of certain disciplines, mm -hmm. not doctrines, but disciplines, sure. the, uh, the attitudes, the way that we're going to go about dealing with some of these issues. Now, I want to focus specifically on the final dubium with you um, okay. as a priest. I've been wanting to talk to a priest about this because I've never had this experience in confession myself. Um, where a priest would actually ask me if I intend to not commit this or that sin again. I always thought that was kind of understood. And so that's why I, mm -hmm. this is, so that being the groundwork for why I want to talk about this. It says, dubium about the statement that forgiveness is a human right and the Holy Father's insistence on the duty to absolve 
everyone and always so that repentance would not be a necessary condition for sacramental absolution. And then their revised question says, can a penitent who, while admitting a sin, refuses to make in any way the intention not to commit it again, validly receive sacramental absolution? And I'm just wondering in practice, Father, if that ever happens, do you know in confession that somebody is unrepentant? Well, I have to be very careful with that response. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Speaking in a general sense, yeah. Speaking in a general sense, if someone does not intend at all to reform their life, then absolution can be withheld, okay? In Canon 959, which gives the nature and purpose of the sacrament of penance, it says that they... They are. They have to be sorry for them and intend to reform themselves. They have to intend to reform themselves. In fact, the word for sorry is contrite contrition. Mm-hmm. Now, this goes back to the Council of Trent when there was a discussion on whether or not contrition was needed for the sacrament to be valid or attrition. Now, attrition is a gradual reducing of one's um, sense of desire for a sinful act. It's attrition. It's Mm -hmm. gradual. It's a weakening. Mm -hmm. Whereas contrition means I am truly, uh, I find that sin repugnant and I don't want to do it again. Now, because of concupiscence, I may do that again. However, my, my, my intention is to truly reform my life and not do that again. I mean, I guess it's possible that somebody approaches the sacrament of confession. Um... If someone came to me and said, "Listen, uh, I'm go, I, I'm, I'm a liar. I, I'm confessing lying, but I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be lying again." Would somebody do that? I mean, I guess this is where I'm wondering if this is a real thing that ever it, happens. It, it, it can be. It can be. There has to be. And I I think where this really becomes a sticky wicket is dealing with sexual immorality. So I'm Mm. living with my boyfriend and, uh, you know, I'm confessing fornication, but at the same time, I'm not going to stop living with him. Mm. Okay. (laughs) So then there's that question. Are they really reforming their life? Are they making the effort to avoid the near occasion of sin, like we say in the act of contrition. I mean, I guess I'm surprised that there would be anybody that would even approach confession if they weren't actually sorry for the sin in the first place. Um, Wow. This is really interesting, Father. I have so many more yeah. questions, but we're we're out of time on this one. Maybe we can uh, yeah. we can talk about it in the future. But really appreciate you unpacking a little bit of it for us this morning. We got holiness and living the sacramental life linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you. All right. God bless everybody and be contrite of heart. Yes. Absolutely. I think the moral of this story. Psalm 51, contrite of heart. Yes. The moral of this story is actually be sorry for your sins and actually, you know, be determined to reform our lives. Amen. God bless. Bye-bye. You too, Father. Thank you. All right. It's 17 past. We're back with headlines right after this. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. 
and services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Are you looking for peace, longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. One of the reasons we should go to Mass is because it is the food of the saints that we receive. And for the saints, they understood rightly that the time after Holy Communion, that those moments are the most precious moments of our lives. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, live from the EWTN Chapel, every morning, 8 Eastern, on EWTN Radio and Television. 19 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Lots happening in Rome today. The Holy See has released the Pope's latest apostolic exhortation on climate change called Laudate Deum. The Pope also today has presided over Mass to open the General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops on Synodality. And House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has been ousted from the role of speaker in election for a new speaker of the house is set to be held next Wednesday. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. A lot of things going on. A lot of things going on. A lot of reasons to pray. You know, Anna Mitchell, there are a lot of people who are like, oh, okay, so these are all the things I now have to hop, have hot takes about. Uh, what I tend to do is I hear your news and I'm just like, all right, Anna Mitchell is got my is prayer list here. My prayer request list. So these will be the things I'm praying about today. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I take Father Phil's point about this being a constructive dialogue and the Pope taking the opportunity to kind of explain things. Doesn't mean it's not stressful. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean, the frenzy that has taken place, though, um, over the dubia and... I mean, meanwhile, up the road for me in D.C., like Washington. Oh, my is just gosh. Like, it's like in flames. What exploding. Is, but you know what? what is it's, happening? This goes back to, you know, what we were talking about with Father Rob last hour. If we really want to honor St. Francis, who was trying to honor Jesus, like, what about the person you can actually do something about? Which is yourself. Which is yourself, your family, and the people you're going to meet today. Amen. Hard to fix Washington and Rome and Hollywood and New York City all in an afternoon. All in a tweet. But you got your family. Mm-hmm. Got your friends. Work on that. It's 21 past. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. 
all available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence the St. Monica Sodality Prayer for Fallen Away Catholics. Eternal and merciful Father, I give you thanks for the gift of your divine Son who suffered, died, and rose for all mankind. You gave St. Monica a spirit of selfless love manifested in her constant prayer for the conversion of her son, Augustine. Inspired by boundless confidence in your power to move hearts, I pray the grace to imitate her constancy in my heart for those who no longer share in the intimate life of your Catholic family. Grant through my prayer that they may be open to the promptings of your Holy Spirit and return to loving union with your Church. Grant that also my prayer be ever hopeful and that I may never judge another, for you alone can read hearts. I ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Carlo Broussard. He's an apologist with Catholic Answers. You can listen to his Sunday Word podcast at MrSundayPodcast.com, and he would love to speak at your parish. Invite him through CatholicAnswerSpeakers.com. We're going through his book, The New Relativism, from Catholic Answers Press. Carlo, good morning. Good morning, Anna. It is good to have you back. And we're in the section on your book on moral relativism, and specifically in a chapter entitled, Thou Shalt Not Be Intolerant. Now, can you remind us, expose the relativism that we find within this command from our current culture? Yeah, well, first of all, I think we have to unspin the modern spin with regard to what they mean by tolerance. So, for example, the United Nations Declaration of Principles of Tolerance defines tolerance as involving the rejection of dogmatism and absolutism. In other words, tolerance means affirming that there is no absolute truth. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's what that means. The National Lambda Chi Alpha Fraternity uh, defined tolerance as uh, every individual's beliefs, lifestyle, and perception of truth claims are equal. There is no hierarchy of truths. Your beliefs and my beliefs are equal. Mm. So notice all beliefs, and within the context of more relativism, we could include lifestyle choices, are equal and valid. Now, Anna, if all lifestyle choices are equal and valid, then it follows no lifestyle choice is right and another is wrong, which is basically the essence of moral relativism. So rather than moral relativism being dead and passe and old news, relativism is moral relativism is alive and well even within the current moral shame culture, which, of course, is a bit of cognitive dissonance, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. So then how do we begin to refute this in an effective way? Yeah, well, first of all, it subverts itself, right? So if you, Anna, label me as be, being intolerant. Which I never for, would, but. That's right. We're just going to use you as an example here. Yes, Hypothetically, if you were to label me as being intolerant for criticizing some lifestyle choice that you have, well, according to your very own definition of tolerance, you would not be accepting my lifestyle choice to criticize your lifestyle mm. choice, you see? <laughs> so you would actually be violating so your own moral principle of you should be tolerant. So you would be subverting your own position. Mm. Uh, if, if you were to follow your own moral precept of thou shalt be tolerant, and accept everybody's lifestyle choices as equal and valid, well, then guess what? You would have to accept my lifestyle choice to criticize your lifestyle choice. So you can't accept, you can't follow your precept of tolerance because you would have to accept my criticism of you, uh, but you don't want to do that. And nor can you uh, abide by your view. Uh, you, you would refute your view of tolerance by criticizing me. You see? Mm -hmm. So it subverts itself. So the person who espouses this moral imperative is stuck between a rock and a hard place. Because yeah. They're either going to have to accept, deny their criticism of me and accept my lifestyle choice, or they're going to have to violate their own moral precept. Well, it's an excellent point, though. Somebody might just dismiss that, Carlo, you know, saying, well, whatever. Uh, that's usually what I get when I when I respond to somebody in in that kind of way. So, what are some more fundamental issues with this with this perspective on on what yeah. is tolerance? Well, I think this sort of is the old school line of response to moral relativism and saying, "Hey, look, you know, if it's a bad thing for me to be critical of a lifestyle choice, but then does that mean I can't be critical of the lifestyle choices of serial killers, thieves, or rapists? Mm. Or what about racists? Should yeah. we not be critical of the lifestyle choice of racists? Of course not, right? So notice how this view of tolerance within contemporary culture undermines all morality. It undermines any negative moral evaluation of a lifestyle choice. Now, somebody might respond and counter and say, oh, well, serial killers, thieves, and rapists, and racists, that causes harm to people. Well, wait a minute. Why are you restricting harm to physical harm, right? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't there be harm of a moral nature if lifestyle choices, say, associated with the LGBTQ plus community are immoral? Wouldn't that lead to harm, at least harm of moral character, because those things from the classical view of natural law theory, that would be contrary to the good of human beings and thus harmful to them, even though maybe not physically, although some cases it is, but it would be harmful to them with regard to their moral character. So it would just be begging the question against the classical natural law theorists or the Catholic tradition, right? And then, you know, we we could think about it and say, well, uh, we would view those lifestyle choices as immoral. 
and, th and thus harmful. So those are a few ways that we could respond. Well, we'll have to leave it there, but we'll uh, look at the alternative absolute that you've got in the book here uh, next time we get together, Carlo. In the meantime, really appreciate you uh, taking us through this step by step um, because this is this issue in particular and i know that it's going to be covered in different ways uh moving forward in the book um is one that i think people encounter a lot in real life yeah. conversations and you can read more about it in the new relativism unmasking the philosophy of today's woke moralists you can find it through Catholic Answers Press and linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Carlo, thank you. Thank you, Anna. Have a great day. You too, thanks. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. The Holy See today on this feast of St. Francis of Assisi has released the Pope's latest apostolic exhortation, Laudate Deum, to all people of goodwill on the climate crisis. In the text, the Holy Father expresses the need to update and to continue to implore international action eight years after the publication of his encyclical Laudato Si. In the exhortation released today, the Holy Father laments the failure of nations to make good on promises they've made during the various climate conferences that have taken place over the past decades. He says, quote, despite the many negotiations and agreements, global emissions continue to increase. Certainly, it could be said in that without those agreements, they would have increased even more. Still, in other themes related to the environment, when there was a will, very significant results were obtained, as was the case with the protection of the ozone layer. Yet, he says, the necessary transition towards clean energy sources such as wind and solar energy and the abandonment of fossil fuels is not progressing at the necessary speed. Consequently, he says, whatever is being done risks being seen only as a ploy to distract attention. We must move beyond the mentality of appearing to be concerned, but not having the courage needed to produce substantial changes, end quote. Pope Francis also today presided over mass to open the General Assembly of the Synod on Synodality. In his homily, the Holy Father encouraged the faithful to walk with the Holy Spirit in trust and with joy. The Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith has responded to another set of questions posed to Pope Francis, another set of dubia, this time from the Czech bishops, on proper interpretation of the Pope's apostolic exhortation, Amoris Laetitia. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports. The Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith writes that the apostolic exhortation of Morris Letizia by Pope Francis addresses the issue of divorced individuals in new relationships accessing the sacraments of reconciliation and the Eucharist. It suggests that access to these sacraments is possible in cases where there are mitigating factors that reduce responsibility and guilt. This perspective is part of a pastoral approach focused on accompaniment, aiming to integrate individuals into the church beyond just receiving sacraments, such as participating in the community or church services. The document stresses that this process of discernment is not about granting permissions, but involves a personal and pastoral evaluation guided by a priest. Priests have the responsibility to accompany individuals on this discernment journey with guidance from the bishop. The ordinary of a diocese can establish criteria to assist priests in this process. 
Regarding the evaluation of individual situations, the dicastery emphasizes that it's a pastoral journey of discernment for each person. The priest plays a role in welcoming and guiding the individual, but ultimately it's the individual's responsibility to present their conscience formed by the church's guidance to assess the possibility of accessing the sacraments. In cases where a declaration of nullity is possible, recourse to the ecclesiastical tribunal is part of the discernment process. However, in more complex situations where such a declaration isn't possible, a path of discernment may still lead to a personal encounter with Jesus Christ through the sacraments. The document suggests that divorced and remarried individuals should reflect on various aspects, including their behavior during the marital crisis, attempts at reconciliation, the situation of the abandoned partner, and the impact of the new relationship on their family and the church community. I'm Francesca Merlo. An election for the new Speaker of the House is set to be held next Wednesday. Members leaving the House GOP conference meeting said a candidate forum for Speaker will be held next Tuesday with the election held the following day. The House of Representatives will be in recess until next week. Kevin McCarthy says he will not be running again following the chamber's decision to vote him out of his position in a historic vote forced by Florida Congressman Matt Gates. North Carolina Congressman Patrick McHenry is now acting speaker until the new speaker election is held. Cell phones across the country will be getting an emergency alert today. The federal government is conducting a nationwide test of the emergency alert system this afternoon. FEMA and the FCC are running the test to make sure the alert system is running smoothly in case Americans are threatened by natural disasters, terrorism, or other emergencies. The jolt sound should start hitting phones around 2.20 p.m. Eastern time. That's the news. It's 35. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, What do we mean by the indefectibility of the church? By the indefectibility of the church, we mean that the church, as Christ founded it, will last until the end of time. Just before our Lord ascended into heaven, he said to his apostles, Behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And so, because he is with us, we can be assured that the church will remain. This does not mean that the church never changes. What it does mean is that it develops, just as a seed planted into the ground eventually grows roots and then grows as a little sapling, adds branches and leaves. So similarly, the church, planted by Christ into the ground of the earth, it does indeed develop and it grows through time. Nevertheless, it remains the same. The church always remains what it was while developing into what God wants it to be. 
Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Father Sebastian Walsh, he's an overteen at St. Michael's in California and author of the book from Catholic Answers Press, Heart of the Gospel, How the Beatitudes Show Us God's Plan for Happiness. Father Sebastian, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Annie. It's so good to be back. How are you doing? I am doing fine. So much better to get to talk to you. And uh, (laughs) I have been waiting to talk about this book, and I'm so excited that we get to start a new series with you on it um, about the Beatitudes. Now, the word Beatitude, I think, is something that we Christians just sort of let wash over us without giving much thought as to what Mm -hmm. it actually means, right? So could you Start us off by defining what is a beatitude? What is beatitude? Yes, so the Greek word that that's, that, that English word is translating is makarioi, um, and it's found in the Scripture about a hundred different times in the Greek uh, text. If you have the uh, Greek New Testament, which that's the original language of the New Testament, a little over 50 times you find that word. And in the Old Testament Septuagint, you find it about 50, a little over 50 times as well. One way to translate it would be something like happiness, but it has a different connotation in the scriptures. It's it's the word that's used to describe the very happiness or blessedness of Jesus in heaven and of God, the, the persons of the Trinity in heaven. It certainly implies not only a state of kind of emotional satisfaction or well-being, but it implies a super supernatural state of perfection, joy, bliss, you know. So it's that kind of happiness we're talking about, blessedness. So sometimes it'll be just translated as blessed are, but it's a beautiful word, and it and it refers to the the fulfillment of the greatest desires of the human heart, and even more than fulfilling the human heart. So that's first of all what what the word means. Now, what is a beatitude in the scripture? Well. A beatitude is, is basically a brief instruction from our Lord <clears throat> given in poetic form that teaches us how to find lasting and divine happiness, that very happiness that the word makari or signifies. And each beatitude basically has a first part and a second part. For example, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? Mm-hmm. So the first part is describes a kind of condition for merit, and then the second part gives you the reward, basically, huh? And so each beatitude, each of the eight beatitudes found in St. Matthew's Gospel, is that brief instruction with that poetic form that teaches us about divine and everlasting happiness. But each one has that condition for merit and then the reward that's appropriate to it. I mean, so many of these are really counterintuitive, aren't they, Father? I mean, Mm. not contained in the beatitudes are blessed are the moneymakers. In fact, that's one of the woes that Jesus gives in St. Luke's Gospel. <laughs> Woe to you who are rich, he says, you know. So the, um, yeah, the counterintuitive nature of the Beatitudes is perhaps the first sign that tells you this isn't just ordinary emotional satisfaction or human happiness the way we tend to think about it in modern, you know, language, because um, that's hardly compatible with a Beatitude like blessed are those who mourn right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's um, it's exactly a state of emotional pain, and yet 
There's this blessedness that comes with it. And many of the Beatitudes are like that. Blessed are the poor, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the persecuted. And so what we find is that God is trying to teach us through these Beatitudes that the human heart does not work the way you expect it to, right? The human heart is like a very complicated device that works in the opposite way than you expect it to. The prophet Jeremiah referred to this um, when he said, more tortuous than all else is a human heart. Beyond remedy, who can understand it? I alone probe the mind and test the heart, says the Lord. Right? We expect to find happiness in money, in physical pleasure, in emotional satisfaction, <clears throat> in the praise of men. But instead, what we find is that people who seek those things with all their heart end up being really sad and ultimately very unhappy people. <clears throat> so the Lord Jesus teaches us, no, it works the other way. And, you know, as someone who's a vowed religious, who took a vow of poverty and chastity and obedience, I can say that, that as far as my own life and the life of the people I live with, we're among the happiest people I know. Hmm. So Jesus really was right about that. He was right about the way to find true happiness, even, even beginning in this life. Well, Father, I want to reflect on the title of your book, Heart mm. of the Gospel. How are the Beatitudes at the heart of the teachings of Jesus? Mm. So I make an assertion at the very beginning of my book that says that Beatitudes are as important to the teachings of Jesus as the Ten Commandments were to the teaching of Moses. Wow. And I think everyone knows that the Ten Commandments were at the heart of the teaching of Moses, huh? That's the, the central thing that Moses left for us, huh? And even St. Matthew gives an indication of that. He quotes directly a passage from Exodus when it talks about Jesus going up the mountain. It's word for word taken from Exodus, the same phrase that was used to describe Moses as going up the mountain when he went up to receive the Ten Commandments from our Lord of Mount Sinai. And even the Sermon on the Mount is divided into five parts, just like we have the Pentateuch from Moses and so forth. There's a bunch of different, really fascinating details like that. But um, everything in Jesus' moral doctrine, what he taught about happiness and attaining happiness, is found in seminal form in these eight Beatitudes. And that's the reason why he opens the Sermon on the Mount with these eight Beatitudes. You know, in the old law... You had commandments that basically said, do this and don't do that or else, right? You were being told sort of like a child being told by his parent, like, you know, just do these things. Right. And the commandments are, are kind of an extrinsic and outside force telling you do this or don't do that or else. But Jesus instead draws our heart, right? Remember he said when the Son of Man is lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself, right? Yeah. He pulls from our heart rather than pushes it. And he teaches us how to find happiness. He tries to attract us um, by love rather than compel us by fear through the Beatitudes. And so it's a more perfect way of leading us to that, um, that happiness that Jesus himself experiences. Everything that Jesus teaches in his moral doctrine is in some way found um, and finds its culmination and perfection in the practice of and the living out of the Beatitudes. Well, I'm excited to have you as a guide as we dive into these Beatitudes in uh, coming conversations with you. Father Sebastian Walsh, 
His book is Heart of the Gospel, and it's from Catholic Answers Press, and you can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, it was so good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Annie. God bless you. You too, Father. Thank you very much. I really am so looking forward to going through this book. Um, If you've never read Father's book, Secrets from Heaven, which um, unpacks some of the uh, encounters that Jesus had and sayings and parables and the like, um, that is an excellent book that I learned. I learned so much from Father Sebastian in that. And so um, with that in mind, I am just so excited to get to dive into the Beatitudes with him in the future. So again, Heart of the Gospels, How the Beatitudes Show Us God's Plan for Happiness at shop.catholic.com or linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Today, the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. We will be talking about him a whole lot more. The real, real St. Francis of Assisi. Coming up next, it's 14 Till. It's not over. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. I'm Marian Kuharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Our messages feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy assistance. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. Please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. Mystic Monk Coffee has brought back their pumpkin spice blend, and unlike the competition, buying their coffee has the added bonus of supporting the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming and the Sunrise Morning Show. Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click the Mystic Monk link to get that or any of their other coffee blends or teas. When you check out, we earn a commission. And there's no better vessel for your Mystic Monk pumpkin spice latte than a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug. Find those in our online store. Do pumpkin spice the Catholic way. Just head on over to sonrisemorningshow.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. You know, we talk story with each of our very unique guests for the whole hour so that you can go deep with us as you yourself pursue your own story of heroic virtue and as you pursue intimacy with God. The Bear Wozniak Adventure, Saturday night, 6 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, John Martinoni and Dr. Edward Sree. Wow, that's a good one. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, I want to toss the headlines, but that Bear Wozniak oh, promo I just know. now that makes was me really want some barbecue. Oh, my gosh. I was like, yeah. Like, I'm so I'm hungry. like grooving with Bear, and then I'm like bobbing my head with... Maybe some collard With Cy Kellett. Hot so sauce. good. So good. All right. I think I'm back in a good headspace. Give me yeah, the headlines. There's a lot to 
talk about in headlines. The Holy See today has released the Pope's latest apostolic exhortation, Laudate Deum, to all people of goodwill on the climate crisis. Also today in Rome, the Pope opened with mass the General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops on Synodality, which will be taking place throughout the month of October. And in Washington, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy ousted from his position an election for a new Speaker of the House is set to be held next Wednesday. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And uh, Anna Mitchell, there's so much to talk about on this Feast of St. Francis. Uh, at the beginning of the hour, I wished a happy feast day to all the Franks and Francises and mm-hmm. everybody uh, you know, in that name family this morning. Uh, all the parishes all named after All the Francescas. Uh, all those people. The Frans. Um, the Francis I.S. Francises and the Francis E.S. Francises. Mm-hmm. So you've got. Although all I those. mean, there are Saint Fran. There's like, you know, Frances. I mean, the, there are other saints named Frances. General rule but... is that if you're a boy, you shorten it to Frank. If you are a lady, you shorten it to Fran. Although, leave the K off. I really love the name Francesca, and think it would be really cute to call a little girl Frankie. Little Francesca, call her Frankie. Looks like you you're not into more that. Babies. <laughs> So I uh, also want to give a shout-out. Uh, I heard him on the promo. I meant to do this earlier. Uh, Father Joseph Mary Wolf and all the folks from the Franciscan yes. Missionaries of the Eternal Word. Big Happy feast for them feast day. as well. I wanted to shout-out also John uh, from the Lego Church Project. I feel like this should be an unofficial feast day or maybe an official, official feast day for him and the Lego Church Project because what did Francis hear from Jesus to go rebuild the church? What does John do over at the Lego Church Project? Just constantly, yeah. Uh, building and rebuilding churches so there you go and there are many others right there are many i mean you went to a franciscan high school right i did indeed roger bacon high school in cincinnati ohio it's a big day for them and uh one of two there's one i think one other franciscan high school in the country of course we have franciscan university of steubenville there's saint bonaventure university in new york another big uh, franciscan place San Diego Padres mascot is a Franciscan friar. Happy feast day, Padres. Who are watching the playoffs from home. Hope you're enjoying the playoffs on TV like the rest of us. Yes, indeed. So there are many. And uh, we talked also uh, earlier in the show about various patronages of the dioceses and uh, St. Francis, patron of a number of American dioceses. But you got some actually feedback because you had asked like how he became yeah, yeah. The uh, the the patron of some of these dioceses, and you actually somebody actually helped us out on this. Yeah, Daniel wrote in because I was wondering what were the. Uh, let me pull up the list here. There were, I mean, San Francisco makes sense to me, but then sure, there Santa was Fe. Denver, Colorado, Metuchen, New Jersey, Salina, Kansas, and not that I oppose St. Francis being patron, far from it, but was just kind of you know like what. You wanted answers. I wanted answers. You I wanted in the to news. know what it was. And so Daniel from the Diocese of, is it Salina or Salina, Kansas? I think it's I think Salina. Salina. Salina, Kansas. Well, now you're going to um, get another email. Yeah, he says the diocese has two patrons, the Immaculate Conception of Mary and St. Francis of Assisi. In central Kansas, particularly Ellis County, was ministered by a group of Capuchin Franciscans from Pittsburgh, in fact, the Volga Germans who came to Ellis County were to do were 
were important that the bishop gave the entire area of Ellis County north of the Smoky Hill River to the Capuchins. And they've been in Victoria, Kansas since 1878. And he says the diocese is full of wildlife and cattle, of which St. Francis is a patron. So happy it feast day. It makes sense to me. Yeah. Makes sense well, to me. there you go. And there's so much in his story, uh, it's hard to cover all of it. And we've covered aspects of it. Of course, last hour, Father Rob Jack was talking about his encounter with the leper. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some some of the kind of highlights, he was born into kind of an upper middle class family. His parents were uh, in the cloth merchant industry. He had a good education, uh, but he, you know, was kind of a wild child. Uh, he was a soldier. He, you know, that's part of his story as well. Um he even spent a little time as a POW, but he had a conversion experience, um, and part of that was Christ calling him to to rebuild his church, and Francis began taking things very seriously. He did rebuild a little church called the Little Portion Church, which you can still find in Assisi, and which oh I know gosh. Teresa Tamio has been to uh, many times. I've been to, You've been and to it. it is incredible to go a- and see that. Um, well, you mentioned, Matt, how I went to a Franciscan high school and I kind of I think I've talked about this on on the show before, but I, I almost feel like I have Franciscanism sort of coursing through my veins in some ways. Um, my my dad grew up at a Franciscan parish here in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati and his mom and his aunts, as the Franciscans sadly started becoming a smaller and smaller group and and sort of. I don't want to leaving parishes, I guess you could say, to kind of consolidate into fewer and fewer parishes. My my grandma and then subsequently my aunts after she died um, would follow the Franciscans around because they loved the Franciscans so much. And so going to Assisi was was really this experience of being in touch with not just St. Francis, but being in touch with the communion of saints um, with with my heritage in a way. So when I saw the Portuncula Church, um, I had this experience that I was not expecting. I had to sit down and just look at it. Like, this is where it began. Yeah. And and it was just such an incredible moment to to be there. I mean, the Portuncula is kind of like a, kind of a relic, I guess you could say. I mean, the, the body of, of St. Francis is in is in a CZ and you can go visit it. But there was something about seeing that little church, um, that little portion of a church um, where where it all began for St. Francis was just, I mean, I really, I highly recommend it to people. Go see it. Yeah, there's also pray the, in it. the encounter with him and the Sultan, mm-hmm. uh, right? Uh, there's also the stigmata. We haven't even gotten into yeah. that, right? Yeah. There's um, just his popularity across... Uh, various places. Um, you know, one of the things that strikes me, since we've got a new letter from uh, the Holy Father, and he has emphasized this in the letter, is, you know, so, so often when people talk about caring for the earth, they talk about caring for nature. And right. St. Francis is like, it's not just nature, man, it's creation, creation. <laughs> right? He talks exactly. about creation pointing to its creator, and uh, the purpose is not to just say, you know, humans are bad, we got to save a tree. It's saying God gave us these things and they point us to him. How many people do we know who found God by walking in the woods and said, who do I thank for all this? Well, one example of that would be uh, the cedars of Lebanon that are disappearing um, quite quickly 
And it's like, how are we going to understand scripture if we don't have that? Those references just as one example. Yeah. yeah. So remember, creation, sure, but creator is who it all comes from. Amen. And it points back to him. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.